You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. It's early, I realize, to start talking about Valentine's Day, but there's a reason I have to start this week's show with a little discussion of Valentine's Day. And I'm just going to rush through my standard operating advice, which, as everyone now knows, is Fuck first so that you don't have to send me disappointed emails on February 15th about how or call with disappointed sounding voices on February 15th because you went out on Valentine's Day and you ate a bunch of heavy rich food, ate an enormous dessert, drank a bunch of wine or booze and then surprise, you didn't get laid when you went home because you were in a food and booze and oh my god, it's late coma. Don't make that mistake. Fuck first and then go out to dinner. That is my standard issue advice for all sorts of things now. Voting, getting married, whatever you're going to do, we're usually fuck after. Voting is very exciting for us at our house, I have to say. Whatever you do, we're usually fuck after. Fuck before and then you won't be disappointed after if you don't have time for the fucking. Don't hold the the fucking in reserve. And the beautiful thing about fucking first on Valentine's Day is you will be home fucking – while everyone else is crowded into the restaurant. And it is much easier to get a dinner reservation on Valentine's Day for 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock. And the staff will be happier to see you because things will be calming the fuck down. And you will have fucked. And then you can have a celebratory, wasn't that an awesome fuck dinner, instead of having a dinner where you worry the whole time about, oh my God, if I order the beef, then I'm going to be farty while we're supposed to be fucking. So I guess I'll order something I don't really want. No, fuck first. And then you can eat whatever you want. You can drink as much as you want. And then you can roll home for the post-fuck, post-Valentine's Day romantic dinner cuddle. Now, here's the reason why I'm bringing up Valentine's Day so far in advance of fucking Valentine's Day. We are doing another live taping of the Savage Lovecast. We did a live taping of the Lovecast back in June in Seattle at Seattle's Neptune Theater. And it was a blast. And we are doing another one. We are returning to Seattle's Neptune Theater on Valentine's Day. This is a special show, a special taping of the Savage Lovecast for single people only. Now, legally in Seattle, we can't discriminate against the couple or the partners. We won't be turning people away if they have wedding rings or they arrive holding someone's hands. But we will be shooting you dirty looks because this is for single people only. We want to make sure that all the single people who listen to the podcast, who can get their asses to Seattle if they're not already in Seattle – Have as much fun and as much dirty fun and as much romantic sexy fun on Valentine's Day as all those coupled motherfuckers who are going to be fucking first and then going out to dinner. There will be at the live taping of the Savage Lovecast at the Neptune Theater in Seattle on February 14th on Valentine's Day. There will be free lap dances, sex advice with me and Mistress Matisse and Audrey from Babeland, the human cupcake. That's all I'm going to say about that. The human fruit tray which sounds self-explanatory. We're going to have a bondage demo with uh, bondage impresario and pro Twisted Monk. There's going to be a mini bash, which means if somebody brings something really cool that's a memento of a failed relationship, we may destroy that for that person live on stage. There will be live on stage a pegging of an audience member. Maybe. We're still looking into the legality of that, but if we can do it, we're going to do it. Uh, DJ Trouble, also known as My Husband, will be there. Butt Plug Giveaway, sponsored by Babeland. 
but they can only be taken away, these butt plugs, if they're in their proper place. And I think you know what I mean. This is going to be a really fun party. You can get tickets right now. At StrangerTickets.com, we have a certain number that we're able to sell at a discount there. Those discounted tickets are going fast, so go grab one. Once they're gone, you have to go to stgpresents.org and search Savage Love Live, or you can go to tinyearl.com slash savlove, S-A-V-L-O-V, and get your tickets to the February 14th Savage Lovecast Live at the Neptune Theater with plenty of friends and regular guest experts from the podcast joining us, bondage demos, lap dances, the human cupcake, If you're single on Valentine's Day and you want to have a night to remember and perhaps be pegged live on stage in front of a hooting, hollering audience, if we can do that legally, which we're looking into. This is Washington State. We can get gay married legally. We can smoke pot legally. We don't know if we can do this, but we are checking. So everybody out there who can hear my voice, who's partnered, fuck first, go to dinner. Everybody who's single and perhaps bitter and wants some special love and attention and might be needing a little sex advice on Valentine's Day, if not – Sex advice, then camaraderie with other single people on Valentine's Day. You want to come to Savage Love Live at the Neptune Theater. 8 p.m., doors at 7. Please join us. Go get your tickets now. Your call is after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. I have a question about mutual masturbation today. Uh, Is this something that people actually do, or is this something that uh, you have invented into some sort of, or trying to make it into a trend, like fetch. Uh, I wonder, because it just seems like an awkward thing to do. Like, I understand that everyone should masturbate often and vary their routine, especially women. Yeah, I just I just don't see the appeal. Um, maybe, maybe we could throw this out there, like callers call in with their own uh, stories about how to make it fun and interesting and not awkward and forced. I don't even know how to, like, bring up the possibility. You know, if you Google mutual masturbation, you will see that it isn't a plot. Uh, It's not something that I invented, that there's tons of writing about it everywhere. Ask Men, Go Ask Alice, uh, Scarlet Teen, Planned Parenthood. There's a wiki page called Non-Penetrative Sex and Mutual Masturbation is – at the top of the list of non-penetrative sexual options. Um, So it's not something that I invented uh, or, you know, it's not some trick I'm trying to play on the world by promoting the idea of mutual masturbation. Uh, And it is good for people to masturbate. It's good for them to vary the routine. You say especially women. Anybody who's been listening to my podcast knows especially men. Men are the ones who end up with the death grip performance problem where they can't seem to get off from penetrative sex because they have been – using the death grip for masturbation for five or ten years before they get around to it. So especially men need to vary their masturbatory routines. Lots of lube, a little lube, a firm grip, a light grip, a loose grip, a flesh light, your fist. Uh, and please no humping mattresses and box springs, guys. But how do you make mutual masturbation work? It's really just rolling around, making out, and jerking it together. I think the problem that some people have when they imagine mutual masturbation is when I masturbate, I'm flat on my back. And so if we're both doing that and lying flat on our back side by side, how is that sexy? How is that interactive? How is that partnered sex at all? 
Well, as with penetrative sex, as with vaginal or anal intercourse, you know, what's screwing up your picture of mutual masturbation is the same thing that screws up a lot of people when it comes to vaginal or anal intercourse, comes to regular penetrative sex. This expectation that you're both going to come at the exact same moment, that, you know, the sex is going to crescendo and both people are going to get off simultaneously. And that is nice and that's fun when it happens, but that is rare. Usually sex involves somebody coming first, a little effort and focus going toward that person's orgasm and then the focus shifts toward the other person's orgasm. That's real sex. That's adult sex. Most people do it that way. Even most people who sometimes have simultaneous climaxes do it that way. But most people don't. Same thing with mutual masturbation. What that means is you're rolling around and the focus goes to one person and the other person assists that person as they masturbate erotically somehow. Whether she's chewing on the guy's balls, gently, teeth out, while he jerks it or just you know rubbing her tits in her face or sitting on his face while he jerks it and they talk dirty, then it shifts to him doing whatever for her that she might like. Uh, of course, same thing goes for same-sex couples and these partnerings and pairings for mutual masturbation. One person comes, typically then the other person comes. So you don't have to both be flat on your back in the bed jerking it during a beautiful and fulfilling session of it's not a myth and I didn't make it up, mutual masturbation. Hi, Dan. I'm a married lady living in Florida. We've been having problems. He's a depressed person who doesn't treat his depression and um, he also has a kink. He would love to be submissive and would very much like me to dominate him. I'm not a dom by nature, but um, obviously I would like to do anything to make my husband happy. The problem is, when are we going to do this? Because, you know, a lot of people, they know that they're supposed to, you know, make, make a date to do this. And um, my husband doesn't like me to make a date to do it, um, especially when I've not done it in such a very, very long time. But the thing is, is that because of his depression, he um, sometimes snaps at me. And what happens, I end up getting angry inside and trying to find outlets for it and whatever, because even if in a very mild tone, I, you know, want to say, hey, don't pee on the toilet seat or, hey, um, I'd really appreciate it if your alarm didn't go off, you know, again, or, you know, those little annoying things, you know, anything here, let me do that. He, he, he takes it very personally. It, to me, he's not a good candidate for being dominated. But today we've hit a bad point in just that um, I've been holding back some of my anger and I was just starting to feel better today and um, feeling in a more of a happy place when I came in and noticed he was what, reading his porn and um, about being um, cuckolded and dominated by a hot wife. And I was in the middle of doing errands and not in that space. In the course of the afternoon, um, he came up with rope tied around his scrotum and wanted me to pull. And we started having a conversation about our lack of um, kinky sex. And um, and I said, well, I don't think we're supposed to do it when I'm angry. And so then we started talking about me being angry. And then, of course, he got angry because it looked like I was trying to get out of being a dom again. And so I said, okay, well, let's just see. So I had him pull down his pants and I got out my writing crap and I gave him three really hard smacks to the butt and it hurt him. 
and now I'm appalled and ashamed. And so now I'm the bad guy. And I know I've read the books. He hasn't read the books, but I've read the books. He just reads porn where it's all perfect all the time. But in the books, it, and you explain that, no, you should really have safe words and do it when everybody's happy and fighting for it and um, excited about doing it, um, not when you have problems. And, and now I have a bigger problem, and I don't know what to do. Joining us by phone, a regular guest expert here on the Savage Lovecast and one of the guest stars for Savage Love Live at the Neptune Theater on February 14th. Valentine's Day uh, 2013. Go get tickets. Mistress Matisse, thanks so much for jumping on the phone with us. Mistress Matisse. Thanks for calling me, Dan. I'm happy. I don't know where to start with this call. Uh, what I, I made a lot of notes, and what keeps jumping out at me is her idea, you know, as sort of someone who's not naturally inclined to BDSM and hasn't been involved in the scene before or in a BDSM relationship before, where she says he's not a good candidate for being dommed. She doesn't finish the thought, which is because he's a controlling dick. And the yeah. irony is a lot of people who are controlling dicks are into S&M because they want to have that turned around. But they can't stop being controlling dicks about being submissive. How does she get him to stop being a controlling dick about being her sub, theoretically? Well, I don't – it's hard to even use those terms in regards to this situation because – He's not being submissive. There's nothing submissive about the way that he's acting. Uh, he wants some kinky sexual fetishes gratified, and there's nothing wrong with that, but he's going about it completely the wrong way uh, and really pressuring her and manipulating her. Uh, and, and, emotionally, and emotionally abusing her. Let's just throw that out there. What, you know, she asked That's at what the end, like, yeah. what, I, what should I do? And I thought the first thing I said out loud after I listened to the call was leave him. Or, yeah. <laughs> or at least make getting treatment for the depression uh, contingent upon exploring any of this BDSM shit. That he's not treated for depression. He won't read the books that actually walk you through healthy BDSM and how to negotiate a DS thing in your relationship. He won't do any of the work on the BDSM front. He's not getting treated for a, a medical issue. And then, oh, the flog, you know, the getting hit with a riding crop doesn't go perfectly? Of course not. Yeah, I, the uncontrolled mental illness thing is really a big red flag. He's not going to be able to kind of process this in any kind of emotionally high-functioning, uh, and that's going to be a problem for her. And I, I, if not, leave him outright, then, yeah, we're not going to do this until you get some treatment for this, whatever that treatment needs to be. Um, and I, yeah, so if I'm not going to tell her just to leave him, then I would say whether whether he likes dates or not, that's what he's going to get. And none of this nonsense about just walking up to her when she's doing whatever and telling her, you know, I tied this rope to my junk and I want you to yank on it. Like, no, that's not how this works. This uh, happens a lot where somebody, you know, as I'm always saying, there are two kinds of people you'll meet at a kink party or a fetish event or something like IML. You will meet people who were tying themselves up when they were 13 and have always been kinky and you'll meet people who fell in love with kink after they fell in love with someone kinky. So this comes up a lot where one person brings DS play to the relationship and says, I want to start doing this. What should the not kinky vanilla partner who may be upping their game or willing to go there look for from the kinky partner as, you know, markers of this is a healthy person bringing this up and we're doing this in a good way or, or you know, my partner is 
initiating this in a good and healthy way and I, and we should run with this and explore it. What, what's the right way to do this? This guy's doing it all the wrong ways. What's the right way to do it, Mr. Matisse? The right way to do it, in my opinion, is um, one way that I think would be healthy. is like, okay, I'm the kinky person and you're my as not yet kinky partner. Let me offer you, here's a wide array of things that I like, any or some of which you may want to do too. You don't have to do all of them. You don't have to do all of them right now. This is the, let me just spread out these options for you and you can pick. I like spanking. I like bondage. I like pegging. I like uh, close friends on my nipples. Pick one of those things, anyone, and we'll do it in the way that you like. So, okay, that's, that to me feels like a less high-pressure option that you have to do these things and you have to do them this way and you have to do them when I want you to. Uh, that just doesn't work for me. And a lot, of, a lot of kinky people don't seem to get that. They instill a lot of performance anxiety in their non-kinky partners by being vague or demanding and you really do have to read the books and walk people through it and hold their hands if you're expecting them to go someplace where they just don't sort of from inside themselves have a natural inclination as a turnout. Not that they can't acquire it. They can and they do as, I sh- as I'm sure – you know, as I've seen, as I'm sure Mistress Matisse, you've seen at kink parties where there are people who are really good at it and really into it but weren't all their lives and got there because they had a understanding either kinky submissive or kinky dominant partner that was able to bring them along. Right. I, I agree. And I think one of the other key elements of just working successfully is uh, you have to keep giving your non-kinky as yet partner the kind of sex that they want and, and need also just as much. I mean, you can't say, okay, from now on, we're doing it all kinky all the time. No, no. You give me some kink and I'll give you the sex you like and we'll keep this sleeping balance that everybody's needs and desires get gratified in a way that makes us happy. And so we, we build on that because I think that yeah, one of the things I've seen is that, that once the kinky partner has has come out, so that we're and began to ask these things, there's kind of this weird thing where they slide away from doing the kind of sex that brought them together with their partner in the first place. And you shouldn't do that. That's a mistake. It's a recipe for getting your ass your kinky ass dumped and having to start all over again. Yes. Yeah, and it's not it's not a good cycle. Mistress Matisse, thank you so much for jumping on the phone, and she will be joining me on stage at the Neptune Theater on Valentine's Day. Uh, Everybody grab a ticket and come. Thanks so much, Mr. Smatisse. Thanks, Dan. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey, Dan. This is John from Tennessee. I've got a interesting situation. On New Year's Eve, I was playing a show at a club here in town while my wife and her friend were at the show. Uh, between sets, they went off. And my wife told me to, you know, get into a little trouble. And while I thought this was just going to the bar next door to get free drinks from guys, maybe, I don't know. Uh, it turned out that her friend uh, went to a crush of hers or fuck buddy, whatever. And 
the situation that happened there was that, you know, my wife began making out and, uh, I don't know, touching, playing with her friend. And the guy that was, who was there made an advance towards my wife and she, she said no. And he made a second advance and she left. And while this is, I think, great on the part of my wife, I don't, I'm conflicted on whether this situation is something I need to be worried about. And, you know, I'm just conflicted on how, on how I, how I should feel about it. At first, when I was, when I was told about it, I wanted to kill the guy. I wanted to go kick his ass. But, Upon thinking about it and upon talking about it more with my wife, that I found that she put herself in that situation, and now the feelings have become more towards anger and frustration towards her, and I feel like a trust barrier has been broken. Am I just being silly, or um, or do I have some real feelings here, and I just need some guidance on it? Sure, this is something you need to be concerned about. You're concerned about it. You can't help but be concerned about it and you need to unpack this with the wife and what went down and how it happened. When she left the show and said she was going to go off and get in a little trouble with her friend, clearly that meant one thing to her and meant something else entirely to you. So you guys need to communicate about that misunderstanding. You know, role presenting to a partner, you know, a situation that got out of control is sometimes how people who fear talking about sex or fear asking for permission and would rather ask for forgiveness, roll out some negotiations around a small degree of openness. You don't say, was it okay with you that your wife made out with her friend? Uh, is that something that you're fine with? Is that something that's happened before? It uh, doesn't sound like it is. So clearly you have an issue there. That brought your wife into a situation where there was another man in the room where she assures you Nothing happened with him and I'm going to leave that alone. But you guys need to talk, uh, not just about what happened and whether what happened is okay, but the way what happened went down, which was you were presented with a fait accompli that your wife was in a very sexual situation with another person without getting your sort of advanced buy-off on that and that is not okay and that is why you're feeling a little insecure and upset because you don't want that sort of shit to snowball. Uh, sorry that I used that particular expression. You don't want that sort of shit to escalate, let's just say. That you don't want this to become a habit with her where if there's something that she wants to do or explore, that she goes and does it and then comes back and tells you about it. And then you guys have to deal with the fallout that you want to have the kind of relationship with your wife where you can be really open with each other sexually about your interests, about what you want to do, maybe about a little small degree of openness uh, but those conversations need to happen in advance and maybe this just got out of control and this wasn't an intentional uh, effort on her part to force the conversation uh, but it has forced a conversation and one you're going to need to have. And I'm glad that you're not mad at the dude anymore. Um, if everything did indeed go down the way your wife described, it's not unreasonable for a guy who's in a situation with two women who are making out with each other to assume that they're DTF as they used to say on the Jersey Shore, that they're both down to fuck and – he, his making a pass at your wife in that situation doesn't make him a bad dude. He, that just makes him a horny dude with a hard cock who's making a reasonable assumption about what might be about to go down on that hard cock. Uh, so yeah, have a, have a talk with your wife. This is troubling. I'm not you know, being the judge and jury and I'm not convicting her that you know, maybe 
New Year's Eve and drinks and things spun out of control. But now you need to have a conversation to make sure this isn't going to become a pattern and to discuss exactly what this means and exactly what she wants and exactly what's okay with you and exactly what's not okay with you. And she needs to apologize to you about how this all came out, how it all transpired, how it all rolled out. And she needs to assure you that you do indeed know the whole truth about what went down in that room. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is, and I'm sending this out there to the couple whose question Mistress Matisse and I tackled today, At Her Feet, Powering Your Femdom Relationship, Tips, Ideas, and Wisdom from a Longtime Female Dominant Couple by Tammy Jo Eckhart and Fox. Uh, comes recommended by Susie Bright, who's a sex genius. I haven't read it myself, but I'm sure it is excellent. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That is audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 20-year-old mostly straight sex positive woman, and I have a question that has to do with my older brother. Um, he's a 23-year-old who moved out of my mom's house around a year ago, and he says he's straight. But a couple of years ago, my mom found evidence on the family computer that he was soliciting himself for sex golden father figure men on Craigslist. For some reason, my mom felt the need to tell me this, although I honestly wish she hadn't. I agree with you that there's some things that are kept secret for a reason. Despite this, that did make me concerned for his physical safety and mental health. Um, because my brother definitely has daddy issues, as my father is an alcoholic and was abusive as well as um, he caused my brother to feel inadequate a lot and just that he wasn't good enough um, throughout his childhood and adolescence. I don't think um, my dad ever sexually abused my brother, and as far as I know, uh, my brother wasn't sexually abused by anyone else. Um, And as far as the situation goes, my guess is that he's looking for some sort of affirmation from these men um, to boost his confidence. but I tried to forget about this because um, my brother wouldn't have wanted me to know. And if he's not straight, then I want him to be able to tell me in his own good time. And I know it's my duty as someone who loves him to just believe whatever he says. But now I'm home on college break and I was on my mom's computer and I came across a photo of my brother. Uh, he had taken a photo of himself with his cell phone and he was wearing one of my mom's nightgowns, which was pulled up to show uh, the rear end <laughs> and stockings. Uh, this sort of adds a new element to the issue for me. Uh, I tried to delete it, but I couldn't without my mom's password. And I don't want her to see it if she hasn't already. So my issues, I guess, with this whole thing are thus. Uh, do I tell my mom? She might come across the photo unknowingly and then could be potentially upsetting for her. And do I tell my brother what I saw? Like I stated above, part of me feels like I should stay out of it. But the other part is telling me that these actions might have something to do with a deeper psychological issue. Um, that my brother might have regarding my dad. Uh, my brother's a great person, but he's struggled with depression and self-harm in the past. And combined with those things, uh, this photo and just rethinking uh, the whole Craigslist incident is a really scary addition to his problems for me. You describe yourself as sex positive, and then you just seem to assume that there's got to be something terribly, terribly wrong with your brother. You pathologize your brother because... He may be uh, gay or bi uh, and attracted to older daddy-type guys. Now, there are people definitely with daddy issues who are attracted to daddy-ish guys. 
That's not always going to be expressed though in an unhealthy or self-destructive ways. There are people who, you know, look back over their life and credit their attraction to daddy figure types, to absent fathers or emotionally abusive fathers and have perfectly healthy relationships with daddy type guys. And there are people into daddies who look back over their life and they have no they have no complaints about the fathers uh, that they have. They had good or decent or loving fathers and that's sometimes why they tell you that they're into daddy type guys. So you just don't want to pathologize your brother's interest in older men which may be perfectly healthy and natural for him. And then you pathologize his cross-dressing. Weird putting on mom's nightgown, totally a violation of her space and privacy, kind of fucked up leaving that picture on mom's computer where she might stumble over it. Uh, uh, uh. But – you seem to want to round both of those things up into your brother engaging in a kind of sexual self-harm behavior online or selling himself on Craigslist, none of which you have evidence for. That said, I really want to challenge you on this point. It's my duty as someone who loves him to believe whatever he says. <laughs> I really have to lean back and laugh. Uh, I don't know about you but in the loving and supportive environment in which I was raised – uh, my mother would say bullshit to her children about things we told her that we wanted her to believe. She would say that to my father. My father would say that to her. We, My brothers and sisters and I would say that to each other. Like one of the things you do uh, for the people in your family, the people you love most is call bullshit on them and their self-delusions. You're in a better position to do that than casual friends and coworkers and people on the bus. We rely on the people we love most sometimes to look us in the eye and say, you're not fooling anybody. So I think you should go to your brother and say, I was on mom's computer. I found that picture. Uh, what up with that? And then let him roll it out. And I am a little concerned. You say he engaged in self-harming behaviors in the past. It is absolutely true that people can engage uh, sexually in a way to uh, self-harm, that they can replace the razor that they were cutting with with random people from the worldwide internet to fuck with and, and really harm themselves sexually, really punish themselves sexually because of self-loathing, uh, period, because of self-loathing and sexual shame. And I think you should go to your brother and express your sisterly concern. It will be an awkward conversation. It may be a conversation that seems in that moment and in the immediate aftermath to have not been worth it, that he may react angrily and in denial. But if you say things like, I love you and I support you and I want to be there for you and I'm worried about you and I just want to know that you're being safe and responsible and you can come to me and you can talk to me about anything and I'm not 100% straight myself and I get it uh, and I want you to know that you have a support system here. And then even if he flies off the handle and doesn't want to talk to you for a week or a month, that will stick in his head. And when he's ready to ask for your support or help, if indeed he needs it and he might not – He'll come to you. And again, he might not need it. He just may be a gay or bi or heteroflexible 23-year-old who's got a thing for older guys and he's found a way to find those older guys and he's not doing anything unsafe. But you have a right as a sister to go to him and say, clearly you have this thing. I just want you to make sure you're being safe, that this isn't some other sort of manifestation of that self-harm shit that I'm so proud of you for working through and getting past. Period. The end. Love and support him and that sometimes means looking at somebody and not believing the shit they're telling you and calling bullshit. Hello, Dan Savage. I have a question about hickey etiquette. I'm in a dom-sub, daddy-boy type of, I guess, casual play relationship with an older guy. It's, uh, it's, it's nice and rough. <laughs> um, we've been meeting about twice a week since August. 
but I didn't get to see much of him over the holidays as he was spending it with his primary partner. So last night was our big fatty boy reunion. He uh, mauled me, and now today I have a series of dark purple hickeys up and down my neck. <laughs> There's one right next to Adam's apple. You can't miss it. It's like I was in a car accident or something. But don't get me wrong. It was it was super hot. Uh, he was playing it up as marking his territory, which is crazy hot. But I live in a very small, conservative city, and I have to go to work later today. So my uh, my question is, what's the proper etiquette here? I, I wear a college shirt by default, but I'm not going through any other lengths to cover up. I'm, I'm not ashamed, but do you, should I be should I be ashamed? Uh, I, I see it as I'm marked property. That's hot. Fuck them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not I'm not throwing it in everyone's face. You know, parading around in a deep V-neck or anything. So. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, I love your show. Thank you. I don't have a problem with hickeys. Uh, I haven't had one since high school, and I don't really know adults who have them. And it's telling that the only reason he's doing this to you, uh, giving you these hickeys, is to put you in this position where other people are going to see the hickeys and think, what the fuck, right? Because he's marked his territory. He wants people to see those marks. Whether you're thwarting your daddy's will by putting a little pancake makeup or foundation over them before you go to your conservative workplace is a whole other issue. Um, and, and what do I think? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's juvenile. I, I don't worry that your coworkers are going to think, oh my god, he is a sexual person who has obviously had sex. There's the evidence. We are all sexual people. We all sort of make that tacit assumption about each other. Uh, people generally don't like to see too much evidence of it. You know, if you walked around your office with cum running out of the corners of your mouth, they might have a problem with that. Uh, but you know, people look at hickeys on adults and think, not you know, there's nothing wrong with hickeys, but they think. How old are you? And aren't you past that stage? And whatever, but they don't, you know, they don't think terrible thoughts. They're not going to extrapolate the exact nature of your relationship with this dude or even that this dude exists or how you got those hickeys. But do you really want to say to your coworkers, I'm a juvenile and I have sort of juvenile judgment and I have kind of juvenile sex, which I think is what those kinds of hickeys say. A hickey in the middle of your Adam's apple is a hickey that everyone's going to see whether you're wearing a deep V t-shirt or you're wearing a collar and a tie, a, co- a shirt collar and a tie. So it's really up to you. But your coworkers are going to think, not kinky necessarily, they're going to think juvie. And do you want the people that are your professional colleagues uh, who have some control over your future, perhaps in your career, to think juvie? juvenile and perhaps uh, juvenile judgment as well because they may make that conclusion. It's a sex-negative conclusion. It's unfair, but it's a conclusion that in a conservative workplace is likely to be made and you'll have to deal with those repercussions. Your Adam's apple, Chew and Daddy won't. Hey, Dan Savage. How you doing? This is uh, a long-time listener. Hey, listen, I got a question for you. Um, First time I really had a good one to call in about. I'm pretty excited. Anyway, so my uh, I'm skyping with my girlfriend because she's on a trip to see one of her friends she hasn't seen her forever. She's like good friends with or whatever. Anyway, so they're gay besties. She goes to see him and they're doing their thing where they do their hugs and kisses and stuff on Skype, and it's adorable. But anyway, uh, here's the thing. So I'm I'm talking to her, 
in the background, there was this guy who's wearing like less and less clothes until eventually he's just like a nude dude walking around in the background. I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not saying anything. Um, <laughs> so uh, I asked her, hey, what's this? Uh, your buddy's uh, naked walking around. I don't know this guy. I've never met him before. And she's like, oh, he's going on grinder. He's getting ready to shower. He's meeting some dude for later. And I was like, oh, cool. Uh, that's very sweet. Good luck to him. Hope he's a cool dude that he meets up with. Our question for you is, should I be weirded out by this at all? Because it makes me feel a little bit weird that um, like she's in a hotel room like a thousand miles away hanging out with her buddy. Hey, it's Dan Savage. Are you serious? Yeah, totally serious. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'm in class. Oh, shit. Can you talk right now or not? Yeah, I'm going outside right now. So what's <laughs> going on? Uh, nothing. I was just calling you about the naked dude uh, over your girlfriend's shoulder during your Skype sessions. Yeah. Uh, rad. I had a talk with her about it already. What did she say? Um, she laughed. She said not to worry about it. And then she gave me my um, two forms of gay ID for him. <laughs> and I was like, okay. What are the two forms of gay ID that she gave you? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just stories. It just showed me on his Facebook page. Okay, I, th- I think that's actually. I, I want to pause here to to point out what you guys did, uh, what you and your girlfriend did. That's so excellent and, and awesome, and speaks well what? to your relationship. You had this minor anxiety about whether she might be lying to you about whether this dude was gay, right? She's with a yeah. naked dude. I mean, that's like what's going on. That's the subtext. You know, you're my okay. girlfriend, and I love and trust you, but you're with a naked dude. You tell me he's gay. Dot dot dot. And she, without freaking out, it doesn't sound like she got mad. She came through with the proof, yeah. the evidence. Like, look, here's his Facebook, <laughs> here's his Grinder account. Totally gay, dude. Please chill, right? Yeah, she's so really ex- cool about it. Yeah, you expressed a moment's jealousy and insecurity, and she addressed it not by freaking out and accusing you of not trusting her, but by giving you a little bit of independently verified, verifiable evidence that she was telling you the truth, and that is good and healthy. And I applaud you both. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Now, hey, thanks for calling me back. I was really nervous. Oh, don't be nervous. And, and I just want to say, like, I would just throw out there for any other guys who find this situation. A lot of like gay guys and their girlfriends end up acting like girls and their girlfriends with kind of casual nudity in front of each other and stuff. I never did that with my girlfriends because I'm not comfortable being naked in a shower alone. So more <laughs> props to your girlfriend's gay friend. I couldn't stroll around yeah. in front of a, a computer like that. Um, but oh, a lot of super chill, yeah. <laughs> a lot of uh, gay guys and their girlfriends end up treating each other, painting each other's toenails, and sitting up nights, and uh, some casual, incidental nudity because it doesn't mean anything or matter. And your girlfriend proved it didn't matter by coming through with the proof <laughs> that the dude's a faggot. Get back to class. What are you studying? I'm sorry I pulled you out of class. Actually, I'm in uh, gender women studies class. It's about to start. <laughs> <laughs> Give my regards to everyone in your gender and women's studies class who hates me because I'm sure some of them Okay, do. cool. There's always one or I two will. in every gender women's studies class who hates me and tell them I said hello. <laughs> sure, I will. Good luck. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. Hi there, Dan. I am a 25-year-old queer individual. Um, I am calling because I have a question I thought you might be interested in answering for me or helping me answer has to do with cooking semen and whether that would kill um, any pathogens or any STIs that it might have. So it all started when um, my sweetheart was telling me about how they like to suck eggs, which means like taking an egg, like a raw egg, poking a hole in it and then sucking out the yolk. Um, so like a water 
dumpster diver type. So I said, what does it taste like? And they said, it tastes like cum, like cum with a yolk. So I was retelling the story to someone that was kind of funny. And my friend said, I wonder what would happen if you cooked semen. Basically, like, I wonder if it, if it would hook up like an egg. <laughs> so I'm really excited and intrigued about trying this experiment. I think it seems a little sexy. Um, yeah, so the thing is, though, that I, you know, I practice safe sex with my partner. Um, both of us see other people, so we're really good about using protection. So I'm wondering, would it be safe to eat cooked semen? <laughs> would the heat kill STIs such as HIV? Considering that HIV is a fragile virus and that it doesn't survive more than a few moments outside the body, uh, the risks of your acquiring HIV because you dumped some load in a flan and cooked it uh, are non-existent. The only thing you're at risk for really is cooties. And there is a book that makes the rounds on the internet. Every once in a while, everybody pretends they've just found this book and it starts pinging around the internet again uh, that I'm going to recommend to you that just is right up your alley. It's called Natural Harvest by Fody Fotenhauer. It is a collection of semen-based recipes and they have them online available. It's 25 bucks and you can be cooking with cum uh, within the next two business days if you jump on the internet and order that book now. Natural Harvest, a collection of semen-based recipes. Stunt cooking, we like to call it uh, here at the office. And, but if you do it, if you try any of these recipes, everyone talks about this book. I've never actually met or heard from anyone who bought this book and I was sent like four copies of this book and I haven't even done it. Who bought this book and made anything in it. So I challenge you since this turns you on to get the book, make some of the recipes in it, particularly the flan looks delicious and then report back to the Savage Lovecast with how it all turned out. I'm calling about the caller at 28 years old from D.C. and is about, hopefully, hopefully, about to break up with the guy who was the love of his life and he doesn't know how he can go on. If I may give this what sounds to be a wonderful guy some spiritual advice, I would encourage you to break up with him. And for about one to three years, you're going to think about him every single day and it's going to hurt like hell, and you're going to be miserable. In about four to five years, you're going to start to realize that you are so much better off without him. You deserve to be with somebody that loves your body. You have to decide what you deserve, and you really don't deserve that guy because you sound like such a wonderful, rational, sweet person, and he seems hurtful. And I have wonderful news for you. Your soulmate is out there, and he's looking for you. But you got to get over this guy right now. Good luck. Hi, Dan. Uh, I was calling about uh, episode 323 and the advice that you gave a woman about struggling with her anger uh, after an abusive relationship. And I wanted to thank you for the advice that you gave her because it was advice that I needed to hear as well. I will be getting married this fall to a really wonderful man who I met after I had been in an abusive relationship for seven years. And I still struggle with my anger every day, and I've had people tell me I need to stuff it, that I need to stop it, that I need to shut up about it. And it's frustrating and hurtful 
that they don't understand and the fact that you don't even know me and you gave that advice to someone else and that it was something I needed to hear was really powerful. And I wanted to thank you for that. Hi, Dan. Um, I was just listening to episode number 324. Your advice for the guy who's looking to possibly have sex in a graveyard with his girlfriend. My feeling will be don't because from my own experience, um, I used to do upkeep in a graveyard and coming in one early Saturday morning and finding two people on top of your grandparents' grave wasn't the most fun thing to ever see. Just saying, if you're going to do it, don't get caught. And even more on top of that, don't leave used condoms around. It really, really, really is nasty to find that. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Give us a call with your questions and your comments. And you can comment at thestranger.com slash lovecast on each and every show. There's a comment thread attached. Join us, single people. Couple two. We can't discriminate against the couple. Single people. However, this is especially for you. A live taping of the Savage Lovecast at Seattle's Neptune Theater on Valentine's Day. It is going to be big fun. Go to strangertickets.com right now for discount tickets. When those are gone... You can go to tinyearl.com slash savlove, S-A-V-L-O-V, to order tickets through the Neptune. Please join us. It's going to be a blast. 206-201-2720 is the number. Give us a call. The podcast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth, who will be at the show in Seattle on Valentine's Day. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.